It is good to be back with you today. I'm going to be preaching out of 1 Corinthians 3rd chapter. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, we'll take a look at that in just a minute. But when I grew up, having a garden in your backyard was just common. Anybody remember those days? I know I've got a few years on a lot of you, but that was really very common to have a garden in your backyard, if you could supplement having to buy from the company store or from the grocery store, you were a little money ahead by doing that. Um, when, my, when my parents um, grew up, I, it was even more common. And so when I was around my grandparents, that was just, you know, that was natural. When dad said, let's go home, he wasn't talking, let's go to our house here and in Abilene or wherever we lived, he was talking, let's go to Gadsden, Alabama, where my mom and dad were born and raised. And so when we would go there, both my grandparents had gardens in their backyard. Now, this was a serious garden for my dad's parents. On one street, of course, it was a cotton mill down here, so all this was known as the Mill Village. You worked for the company, you bought at the company store, you know, you know that songs and everything. Well, on the next block, also a row of mill villages, uh, mill, uh, mill houses, but the one behind my grandparents was gone, and the next door also. So I don't know what happened, it was before my time, maybe they caught on fire and they were gone anyway. My grandfather acquired that lot. And I want you to know, they put in a garden. And that was a serious garden for a little kid, you know, just going and helping out. You get tired pretty quick, you know. But the Apostle Paul talks about a garden here in this passage of Scripture. And he uses some different terms, different metaphors, if you would, to both describe the church uh, the garden, and also to describe who the people are. And, and so he'll talk about the members of the church being fellow workers or partners together to be able to do the work. He talks about the church as the people of God, which that is the church. The church is not this building. The church is you, the people of God. And it's individual Christians, and it's God's field, and it's God's garden, and he even calls it God's building. But he's always talking here about the people, the Christians, you and me who have been saved by his grace. So I want us to focus on the significance of God's garden, for the garden is God's, which is cultivated. He provides the soil. He provides the seed, the sunshine, the showers, and all of these are essentials for the growth that is to come from the garden. When we read in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, beginning in verse 6, we see this, and the Apostle Paul is writing. He said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to their own labor. 
For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. God has promised growth. And and I've got to tell you right now. He has given you and me a responsibility. But he is the one who has promised the growth. And folks, that just takes a lot of pressure off of us. When we look at a local church and recognize that God has called us to do the planting and the watering, but yet God is the one who has promised the growth. God is the one who is going to bring the growth. He is faithful in every way. And when we are obedient, we see his faithfulness even more. So let's take a look at this because he has called us to be a part of redemption And he has called us to be a part of the reproduction process. And I want to talk about those as we go through this. So first off, God expects his servants to plant the garden. I don't care what you want in your garden. Some of you like to grow tomatoes and corn and and beans. And some of you over here might like to grow turnips and carrots and beets. Yeah, I'm more of this kind of person over here, okay? But whatever you grow is because that's what you like. That's what you want for part of your diet. And in fact, when you give to others from your garden, it helps them to rejoice. To It just brings joy to their lives when you bring something from your garden to them. My first pastorate, I tell you what, oftentimes we would find bags of food from people's gardens at our front door. Just surprise, surprise, you know? And and just day after day after day, and it was just total blessings to be able to receive that. brought a lot of joy to us. I still see the significance of a garden, but God too has a garden, and he provides the seed that brings much joy into our lives. And with all of the choices of seed known to mankind that could be planted, God has one seed that's important, and that is the Word of God. And this is what we need to be responsible planting. One seed I have always liked, probably from my kindergarten years, and I don't know if teachers still do this or not, but they'd give us this plastic cup with dirt in it. Now, that's kind of dangerous today already. You can see some things happen. But they would give us this cup of dirt, and they would say, you know, take your finger and just poke a, poke a little hole in the middle of it, and they'd open this bag of, of tomato seeds, and they'd say, take out two or three seeds, you take out two or three seeds, you drop it in the hole, and they'd say, cover, cover the hole up so you... Kind of move the dirt around. They said, put a little water in it. Let the water go down. Don't let it, don't put so much in it that it just sits there on top. And then we put it in the windowsill. We all had our names on our own cups. And all the windowsills were full of these cups planted with seeds of tomato seeds. We'd go home over the weekend. We'd come back and we'd, we'd all be looking at our cups. Now, they may or may not by this time have little cracks in the soil. But within a couple of days, you can see those little cracks. And the next day when you come in, you can see a little bit of green poking up out of it. And the next day, that stem comes up, straightens up. 
begins to grow and there's excitement. That's probably one of my favorite seeds to plant even today to see a tomato plant grow up. But when we plant God's word, it brings excitement to people's lives too. It grows much in the same way. You have to plant that seed and begin to see it grow, begin to see it be nurtured in somebody's life to make a difference, to bring that joy in somebody's life. But how do you plant this spiritual seed? There's a lot to this Bible, isn't there? There's a lot in here to digest. And I've got to tell you, even though I'm a theologian and have my doctorate in in all this, there's still things I learn every year. Things the Holy Spirit emphasizes to me every year. It's like a new all the time. God's Word is a living Word. Amen? And He makes that new to us all the time. And when we help to plant that in someone else's life, it becomes new to them. It becomes exciting to them as it begins to grow in their lives as well. Well, how can we plant something that's spiritual? We understand planting seeds and and helping those plants to grow, but how do, we, how do we plant something that's spiritual? Through my life, I've been introduced to different things. E.E., I can't remember the exact title of that a long, long time ago. I think the last word is evangelism, but I do remember. Did you, who, who said that? That's it, evangelism explosion. And there was a lot of scripture to memorize, and sometimes it became cumbersome. But I remember that was part of something that we learned and and a way of being able to help plant this word in someone else's life. Around that same time, I was introduced to the Romans Road. Anyone know about the Romans Road? I love that one because there's only about five, five verses that we need to remember. And it takes us from understanding the sin in our life, but the saving grace that God gives us and forgives us for that sin. And it kind of closes out by letting us know that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's exciting news. I mean, that, that's just, that's joy to somebody who's hearing this news, who's been a sinful person rejecting God all their life, and then they realize there's something else. There's something else, and God can provide it. And then a few verses down the road here in uh, Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 13, it says, Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love the Romans road. And then there, I think in my life, there was faith evangelism training where F-A-I-T-H all had a verse that was associated with it, and sometimes you would get F-A-T out, and somebody would, whoo, hallelujah, I'm saved, you know? And, and you get, you don't forget the rest of it, but we sent people out in threes. And you could do ministry or evangelism, witnessing to people, whatever the, whatever the situation called for. And when we come back, there's celebration time. Because there were people who were saved while people were out witnessing the good news of Jesus Christ to others. But I've got to tell you the one thing that, well, let me tell you about another one. There were, there were two that really kind of impressed me about that same time frame after faith came out. Jerry uh, Wiles, Dr. Jerry Wiles, gave a seminar that was called 
Faith Witnessing Seminar. And he had such a beautiful, smooth way of including the name of Jesus in any conversation. And he would just take us through a lot of different routines. And and all of a sudden, Jesus is in the middle of the conversation. And once Jesus is in the conversation, you can quote a verse here or there. You can help somebody learn something. You can plant the seed. And that's what that was all about, planting the seed, the Word of God in someone's heart. And so it was was just a smooth way of including Jesus in any conversation. Try it sometime. I mean, it's, it's easy to do. And then probably the most important tool that God has given us is our personal testimony. I still go back to that. I still go back to the time when God saved me by his grace. How that kind of occurred in my life. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the biker who, I'm going to just say a bunch of bad things here. I'm not the biker who killed somebody uh, who did drugs and, and just lived a life of sin like that, okay? And then one day I was saved. There are people who have testimonies like that, and praise God, I mean, his saving grace can get us all, amen? Mine wasn't like that, although it was about rejecting God. There was sin that was present. But when God saved me by his grace, it was evident to this 10-year-old that God changed something in me. There was rejoicing that came about. When I got home, Mom had let me go to church by myself that morning, but when I got home, Mom said, Robert, what happened? And I'm like, what do you mean? And, uh, you know, a little bit later, she said, okay, what's different? And I told her. And, of course, you know, the tears come from Mom because she's rejoicing with you and, and, and just a wonderful celebration time at home. But that's what God's Word does to people. And when we can plant that seed, that's what God is telling us to do. He's telling us, hey, this is your part. This is your responsibility, Christian. Christians in here? Okay, there's two or three. (laughs) We have the responsibility to plant the word. This is the seed that God wants us to plant. He tells us that's our part. But God also tells us that we are his servants and we need to water his garden. Gardens just don't grow accidentally or automatically, not normally. The plants, they need to be cultivated. They need to be encouraged. They need to be nurtured. Proper fertilizer needs to be put on some of the uh, plants and some of the soil. All this work combined will stimulate growth, but unless water is applied, the plants typically will not grow. You may see them come out of the ground, but they'll just wither away. Try planting something in July or August here in Abilene and don't put water on it. You know what I mean? It it may pop up, but it's gone. The sun's got it. The heat can't handle it. It has to be watered. When I started in ministry, uh, I was at one church and I guess the best way to explain this is 
we had to make a formal agreement with the Mexican government to come across into Mexico to go to an orphanage to do a four-year ministry. We were in Lubbock at that time, I believe. Is that right? We were in Colorado Springs. Thank you. We were in Colorado Springs at that time. And traveling down, we picked up another group from Lubbock and then another group uh, down close to San Antonio before we passed over into Eagle Pass and, and went across into this orphanage. But we signed, literally signed a covenant, if you would, with the Mexican government that we would do this if you would allow us to do that at this orphanage. Now, by the time we got through, the orphanage would be self-sufficient. But here's what was needed that very first year. We needed to get the windmill working because it wasn't. We, we had a tank that needed a much repair, almost rebuilding, to be able to handle the water that came from the windmill pumping it up. And that tank of water was necessary to put water onto the field. You see the process here. So that was part of year one with these three youth groups together and adults who were supervising. We had a great time. I, I just asked a question. I said, uh, listen, I need a hundred by hundred square field over here that we're going to plant a certain type of tree in, but I need five strands of barbed wire uh, who can do it. And four youth, 14 and 15 years old, said, I got it. I, I was just blown away. But yeah, it was probably one of the best fences that I've seen put up, and those four youth did that. And so we planted those senior trees that throw a real deep root to bring nourishment up to the surface, and then the next year we would come in and put crops in between. And those crops would then grow bigger because of the nourishment, and then of course because of the water. And then we planted a hay hay grazer field, et cetera, et cetera. But all this stuff needed water. Without the water, none of this would have happened. The animals that we brought there that also needed drink water wouldn't have had water to drink. The orphanage was in bad shape. But by the time we finished that project, they really were self-sufficient by the end of that time. Believers need to cultivate individuals because we have affections and aspirations and new things that the Holy Spirit lays on our hearts that we need to do. And so as we're growing, or as we're working with someone who is growing, we need to water that. We need to, we need to send that water from God into that person's life so this can continue to grow. But we need to live by the leadership of the Holy Spirit who provides everything that we need. How can we water the crop? How can we put water on God's garden? Because it's not like just, you know, taking a water hose out. Uh, that's what I had to do back in grandmother's and grandfather's yard. You know, take it with a water hose and drag it out from the house and hook it up and make sure all those troughs to the next road, got full of water, and then dragged that water hose back. That was my job when I visited. But when we're talking about watering 
the seed that's already been planted, how do we do that? Well, there's several tools that we have at our disposal as a church. We can have workshops. Let me tell you, there are three main things that families deal with that hurt families, Christian families. And Satan is there to see where that weakness is and get a foothold in it and see if he can just tear you apart. It's finances, financial problems, marital problems, family problems. Now we're talking, you know, not just husband and wife, but now we've got children. And they're having trouble dealing with these things. Can you imagine what a workshop would do for you? and for your friends. When churches reach out to provide workshops for things like this, and there are you know, dozens of things that you can think of, these are ways of watering the plants within each of the Christians. These are people who want the best, and God's wanting the best for them, and here you are as a church helping to provide that. That's one way of watering. Another way is to maybe do some cell groups. You know, a lot of times on Sunday morning we have Bible study classes. Um, sometimes we have cell groups that meet on Saturday nights at homes. Sometimes people's schedules don't allow for this to occur except for other times during the week. But these cell groups are important times because these become times of prayer, praying intimately about things that are going on, looking at Scripture, of how God is leading in those areas and digesting that and understanding how God is watering this so that we can be that better Christian, that better person to one another, to take care of those issues and to kick Satan out of all of that that's going on. Amen? So a lot of times these cell groups, these prayer groups are very important. I was glad to see in your program you've got... Uh, corporate prayer time is very important. And there's individual prayer time that is extremely important as well. Another way of watering the seed. Have you ever thought about just talking to somebody and asking if you can pray for them? Uh, waiter, waitress comes to your table. Hey, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything for you we can pray for? Folks, we have had waiters or waitresses sit down with us to have prayer. Because they needed somebody to pray for them. It's, it is so important. I have never seen the importance of prayer for our waiters and waitresses like I see today. So important. Have you thought about, you know, you're, you're leaving work, you're going home, but you need to decompress. Don't you need to decompress sometimes? Have you thought about going down a side street and, you know, stopping there? And either pray for the people that you see. You don't have to get out of your car. But pray for the people you see. Or pray for the people inside these six houses. You may see something like toys in one yard. You know to pray for some children over here too. And go up and park and get another six houses. And just take care of that block. 10, 15 minutes on that block praying for people. They don't even know you're praying for them, but pray for them. You know why? Because God can still work through your prayers. Have you ever thought about just talking to somebody that you meet on the, on the street? You're walking, you're running, 
Strike up the conversation. Ask if you can pray for them about something. Or maybe even go door to door. And this has worked as well. That I've seen this happen time and time again. As a church, you know, we have maybe assignments or something because we want to canvas an area and pray for people. And so we go door to door and we simply say, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm from South Point Church, and uh, we, we just have a ministry where we pray for people. Would there be anything that we could pray for you about? And then you write it down and you pray with them, but bring that back to the church so it's a group can pray for them. And, and it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry to have prayer. Let me tell you something else that's great in a church and continues to water the seeds that are sowed. Prayer walking the church. There are so many times that we come in the doors with the pressures of life and we cannot focus on God. But what if we have people who will prayer walk in here? or down the class areas, or around the church building, or around the campus of the church, and prayer walk this area for God to kick Satan out of here. For God to take the pressures of life off of us when we come in the door. How many times do you think a prayer walking ministry like that will have an effect of watering the seeds that are trying to grow in people's lives? And you know what, Christian, uh, the th three or four of us in here, we're responsible for the watering. We don't have to be told by a pastor or by elders to, okay, this is your ministry, go do it. We, we ought to just be doing it, right? I mean, there, there's a lot that God is telling us to do that we've already got the responsibility for, watering. Folks, this is discipling. Others, one-on-one, one on a -on -one, -on group, one-on, you don't know who's there, but God does. How many times have you been told, I've got a special prayer request, but I can't say it right now. Would you pray for that person? Absolutely. You want, you want to know why? Because God knows who it is. I don't have to know who it is to be able to pray for somebody and help water that in the life of someone else. But we do have that responsibility, and God has given that to us. Here's the third thing. And the thing that I think is, I think two things are precious. One, God could do this all by himself, right? But he chose to include us. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. He gave us this ministry of planting and watering. Praise God that he wanted to include us. But also praise God because he is faithful to fulfill the promise that he has made to bring the growth. God promises to bring the growth. No matter how much we might think that we're in control of this little tomato seed coming into a plant, we're not. It's all because God brought it. God brought the growth. We need to recognize that. Let me tell you, I've been to a lot of churches. I can't even count the number of churches. Just helping people out along the way. People who may be pastorless, who may be dealing with some issues. People, churches that just need to have somebody to fill in to preach for a little while. 
And one of the things that I can tell you is on the heart of every church, not, a, not every member, but every church has this on their heart. Who's going to grow this church? They may be thinking back 20, 30, 40 years of their heyday when the, all the pews were full and they had to do two services or three services and, and they had building programs and whatnot. But now they have 10 or 12 people over here or, or 20 people over here. And their concern is who's going to grow the church? I had a pastor call me up. I had preached over at that church. I had trained their pastor search team. They did great. They called a pastor. Pastor had been there about six months. He called me up. He said, Brother Robert, I need some help. I said, okay. He said, can, can we meet? I, I just got, I got to talk to you. I said, sure. So we met together. He said, Robert, I don't know what to do. The, the pastor search team that called me, they just approached me the other day and said, okay, pastor, you've been here for six months. What are you going to do to grow the church? And I said, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. Because I've dealt with this before. I, I've heard this before. And so I, I had a little bit of scripture behind me, and, and this, this is part of it. I, I took him through this, and I said, you, you know this. You know that God has given the people, the, God's garden, uh, the responsibility of planting and watering. But God says he will bring the growth. It, it's not your responsibility to bring the growth. He said, I know, but I don't know how to, how to answer them. I said, okay, okay. And we talked about that for a while. And I gave him some suggestions that he could go back and talk to this team about. And the last I heard, things are going well because they really have a better grasp of this now. You know, that takes a lot of pressure off of churches, doesn't it? To know that we have responsibility for the planting and the watering, but not the growth. That's God's. And as long as we're faithful, He is faithful to bring that growth. And He'll not just bring the numerical growth, He'll bring the spiritual growth, which is just as important, if not more important, than the numerical growth. But my heart went out to him, and, and, and I'm telling you, God gives the strength to be able to withstand the pressures of life. When we plant and water, he is there to strengthen and grow. My first uh, Air Force assignment as a commissioned officer was in Nebraska, uh, Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. I got to tell you, they have cornfields there like, you know, I'm used to cotton, okay? And the wind blows and sand comes up in your face. I'm just, that's what I'm used to. There they have corn. They have fields of corn taller than me. And I'm like, I'm just blown away. And they'll lean over toward the sun. Or if a little bit of a breeze or wind comes along, they'll lean over some more. You know how it kind of gusts and lets off? And they'll lean over and they'll come back. 
And they'll lean over and come back. And if you get away from the traffic, you can hear all this crackling. Almost sounds like uh, uh, rice, what's that called, that cereal? Yeah, Rice Krispies. Almost sounds like Rice Krispies when you pour the milk on. And, and, and you hear that and you think, oh, no, it's, it's going to break. No, it's not. God gave it the strength to withstand that. And that's just part of the process. And then you begin to see these big, long ears of corn that develop. And, and you know, they're still sitting there bending and waving in the wind. And I don't know if you've ever gone in a field and picked some corn. I, I did during survival training. And, okay, yeah, I ate it raw, but... That was pretty good corn. And God made the growth. God did that. We get to reap the benefits of the growth that God provides. He is concerned for the church. The church was started through Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's concerned for the church. He's, he's promised to grow the church. And we need to get back to understanding his promise. Because it's, it's important for us to see God has a great plan. He's given us a responsibility, but it is his plan to bring the growth. I was reading back in... The creation passage, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And I didn't realize, you're not going to have this on the screen, but, you know, Genesis 1, uh, each day that God created, he said, it is good. It is good. And you get this sense, it is perfect too, right? Not only is it good, it's Perfect. This is exactly what was needed, and God created that. Every day he said, this is good. He put himself into the creation of all that is. How could we think that he would not put himself in what he has created as a church? You and me, the church, he has. By his saving grace, he gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within. He put himself into us a new creation also. But at the beginning of time, we didn't understand this spiritually. But here it is. Anything that we read does have a spiritual context to it. I was turning to chapter 2 of Genesis and began in verse 5 and it said... No shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And you drop down to verse 15, and we see there, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, listen to this, to work it and care of it. 
God has put us into society as Christians, although this is not our home permanently, this is where we are right now, and he wants us to plant the seed and water the seed so that he can bring the growth. What a wonderful thing that God has included us in, amen? Redemption of mankind, this is a huge thing. Huge. And God wants to include us in what he wants to do. Mm. He brought us to become a church, his garden. In 1995, the Northwestern Wildcats football team, (laughs) you're already laughing, had one of the most remarkable seasons in college football history. Prior to 1995, were the most notorious losers in the Big Ten Conference. As a matter of fact, for all of football, they had set an NCAA record by losing 34 consecutive games between the years 1979 and 1982. Wouldn't you like to just be a part of that? They had not had a winning season in 24 years. And then in 1995, under the Head coach Gary Barnett, the Wildcats finished their season 10 and 2. They won the Big Ten Conference. I think they were ranked number three when they went to the Rose Bowl. They did lose the Rose Bowl, but they ended up being ranked eighth for the year. That's a great record. Coach Barnett received 17 Coach of the Weir. Coach of the Year uh, awards, 17. 1996 came. It was spring. And he had assembled his team together for preparation to the next season. And Coach Barnett knew that he had to fight the natural tendency of looking back at all these wonderful accomplishments for 1995. And so he called his team together in this plush auditorium that kind of plush seats, and you know how some auditoriums just kind of rise up. And the Chicago Tribune magazine, Bagnato, wrote this, and I quote, As the players found seats, In the gently banked rows of plush seats, Barnett mounted the stage and announced that he was going to hand out the awards that many of the Wildcats had earned in 1995. And as Barnett called the players forward and handed them placards proclaiming their accomplishments, the 70-plus players in the room cheered and chanted their teammates' names. The players roared when Barnett waved the placard representing his 17 National Coach of the Year awards. And then as the applause subsided, Barnett walked to the side of the stage, 
stopping at a trash can with a sign on it that said 1995. And he dropped his placard in. And then in silence, he came to the other side of the stage and stood. As silence descended on the auditorium, one by one, the stars of the team dropped their placards on top of Barnett's. And soon the trash can was overflowing with the laurels of the previous season. Barnett had shouted a message to his assembled charges without uttering a word. What you did in 1995 was terrific, lads. But look at the calendar. It's 1996. The only way to continue to achieve great things in the present and in the future is to leave the past behind. Wow. This year, there are some who have started this year by telling friends and family, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to walk more. I'm going to get my finances right. And by January the 3rd, it's like, I can't do this anymore. And I think a lot of our New Year's resolutions fail because we did not include God in what we were thinking that we needed to do. Amen? But when we include God and actually understand his plan for us and pray about that, God strengthens us. And you know what else? It doesn't just have to happen on January the 1st. It can happen any time during the year. When we, when we begin to think about things that God is putting on our heart and pray about those things and recognize that those things are God's plans for me right now in 2022, right now. And he wants me to be a part of it. He will strengthen us to be a part of that. Well, God has called us to plant and to water. And the question comes, will we make the commitment to God to do what he's called us to do? Will we be obedient to what God has called us to do? This is timeless. Amen? This is timeless. And this is a joy. Why would we not want to enter into a covenant with God to do what he wants us to do so that he can come right behind and grow it up? You may be thinking, you know what? Maybe today is day I need to make a commitment to God. Something like that. That's exactly what I need. God, would you strengthen me? Would you lead me? Would you help me to know what I need to do to plant and to water? What do I need to do to witness to someone, to disciple someone so that you can bring the growth? That's between you and God right now. Between the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and leading in your life. But would you make some kind of commitment to God to follow what he wants you to do? It's not some leader's responsibility in the church to grow the church. But praise God, God is faithful to do that. We just need to be obedient. 
Our Heavenly Father, thank you. You have loved us so well and taught us and called us and equipped us to be able to be a people who will be a blessing to you. So Lord, as we consider how the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives right now, convict us to walk closer to you, to do better what you want us to do, to glorify you in everything. We can sing all the wonderful songs about your influence in our lives and how great you are, but if we're not obedient to you, it's almost meaningless. So Lord, help us to be a people who do glorify you and exalt you above all else and find ways to to be able to plant and to water, to be able to witness and disciple. And may you be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.